Hello everyone, my name is Willie Eagerhawk and I am the BTS Theorist. I'm a sociologist, a social theorist, a full-time army, and the author of Idol Limerence, The Art of Loving BTS as Phenomena. I make books all about BTS and ARMY, and now I'm making podcasts too. On The BTS Theorist, I want to bring to you stories from within the fandom and new perspectives on BTS and ARMY. Think of this as a place where I share ideas, experiences, and observations all about those seven men we love so much and the fandom that journeys next to them. Plus, I'll bring in people to interview from time to time, such as today, just to keep it fresh. If you're an ARMY, it's so good to have you here. If you're a curious onlooker, hi, I hope you find this episode informative and that you walk away with a better understanding of just what makes BTS and ARMY so good. Ah, Okay, (laughs) on today's episode, I am fortunate enough to be interviewing an essayist from my latest book project, I Am ARMY, We Don't Need Permission. And not only is she a fellow essayist, she is the co-editor of this book and also my bestest friend in the whole wide world. Okay, anyway, um, back to me, Um, back to the book. (laughs) (laughs) This book features a collection of essays from ARMY from around the world that share their stories on how they found BTS and who on earth they are. Okay. Here she is. Today, I am joined by Mish, aka Michelle Bui Huang, aka Fung Tao Michelle Bui Huang, <laughs> a name that I still am perfecting. Yeah, she's she's like uh, it's like a five out of ten. Okay, um, so Mish is a healthcare consultant, eclectic artist, and former radiation therapist. She's got range. She's a proud advocate for Asian representation. <laughs> Mental health and BTS, by the way, you are not on mute right now, so we can hear your wonderful... No, no, I mean, like, leave it. We love hearing you laughing at how hilarious I am. Um, Outside of her professional life, Michelle is dog mum to Sir Winston, ice cream connoisseur. I can, yep. Oh, yeah, and there's Winston in the corner. (laughs) She loves that ice cream. Um, And she is also a reading aficionado, which is how we first met, because she read one of my books. Oh, yeah. Um, So... Misha's essay, The Most Magical Moment in Life, tells her story of growing up Asian in Australia and her struggle with perfectionism. Not only is Mish an essayist in I Am Army, as I mentioned before, but she is a co-editor and she helped shape the book alongside me. So I'm really looking forward to hearing all about her experiences, um, her essay, and everything she has to say on identity, being ARMY, and what it, whatever else might emerge along the way, which is definitely going to be a lot of chaotic goodness because that's just us um by the way our friendship name is wham as in willia and mish um just in case you hear us referring to that yeah that's what it means anyway hi oh hey oh hi oh there we go thank you yes this is a video recording so for everyone listening on podcasts um mish just did something really weird with her eyes it's like a reverse you know when people are really derogatory towards asians like they like to pull their eyes down you kind of did the reverse to that which oh, is yeah. a great way to kick it off today. It's like, I think that's how you greet, is that how you greet white people? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I am one of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great. I just, I, yeah, I just, cool. Just going right there. Nam okay. did that. Yeah. It's, it's from a Nam June meme and I will, I will post it somewhere that people can see. Um, it's like from a V live, isn't it? Where they're celebrating something to do with, he's got blue hair. So was that dynamite? Yeah, dynamite. Yeah. Yeah, and they're, they're doing something. I'm sure there's like a cake or something involved and he's sitting there and he's got his fingers in his eyes, got them real wide. Um, anyway, it's a great meme. That was our first ever meme. Um, and, yeah, and the first time I ever saw Mish, we were in a book club meeting <laughs> and she she jumped on the Zoom call and she had her fingers in her eyes spreading them really, really wide and that's how she first um, entered my life. So, yeah. hi, Hi, Mish. Thank you so much for joining me today, <laughs> all the way from <laughs> Melbourne, Australia. Um, 
I'm from Brisbane, Australia, for those who want to know. Um, so, Mish, <laughs> sorry for giggling, everyone. This is just what you're going to have to put up with. Um, I want to know. <laughs> I'm going to pretend that I don't know anything about you, and um, I would love it if you could take us back to when you first came across BTS. What year was it? What were you doing in life? What was going on when you first saw them? Like, how did it happen? Uh, so I first came across BTS because of a typo. So I was actually looking for a song by an artist named Jungkook, um, but then I typed in Jungkook instead. And like the song that I landed on was Begin. And I'm sure many others can relate, but there's just something about Jungkook's voice that draws you in. So it got me curious about who he was and that's how I discovered BTS. I think that was maybe seven or so years ago. I think I was studying at the time and was having a little bit of a quarter life crisis as you do when you're in uni and expected to know what you want to do with your life. So naturally I went looking for some K-pop to calm myself down. And that's how I found out that um, Jungle was from BTS. And then I went to look them up and then I landed on the song Blood, Sweat and Tears. Um, Yes, and I think you've got a little excerpt, (laughs) good segue, um, from your essay about the the first moment that you saw Blood, Sweat and Tears for the first time. Yeah, so not knowing what to expect, I pressed play and was taken aback as I heard um, Bach's mass drift into my ears before transitioning into Jimin's angelic vocals. So the change in musical composition, the cinematography, and then the captivating match cut of Jimin reaching out put me into a trance. Um, and then, so I come from a classical musical, uh, classical piano background. So that was the last thing I was expecting to hear. Um, and then I think as I saw Jimin beckon towards me from the screen, I panicked a little bit because it'd been so long since I'd been interested in a K-pop boy band. And immediately I was like, nope, we're not going down this rabbit hole again. And then I just closed the video. <laughs> so you're like, no, not today. Thank you. I am good. <laughs> I was heartbroken uh, by DBSK's disbanding and I was like, no, I can't right. feel that heartbreak again. So yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. So you were or you had already gone through like a, an enjoyment of K-pop before that. Is that right? Yeah. So what was your history with K-pop? Like when did it start? What was the allure, of, allure for you? <laughs> allure. Um, so I think, oh God, I can't even remember. I think it was probably because my mom used to watch a lot of K-dramas. And then from there, I found like, you know, I would look up the songs from the K-dramas and then that would transition into K-pop. Um, and then I discovered like the boy band Dongbang Shinki and they were so good. Like they could have been BTS, but you know, they're with SM Entertainment. Um, I'm going to get sued for this. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you so much, Mish. Um, And this is our last ever episode of The BTS Theorist. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but they disbanded. Um, And I think after that, I was like, oh, man, I can't get invested again. Like, because I was devo. But yes, um, but I did get invested again. So invested, in fact. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay, for for all of those who are not watching this... (laughs) She just put out a photo card of Jimin. Um, of course, she's she's got a lot in that in that house of hers. I got to tell you. All right, so you saw the Blood, Sweat, and Tears music video, and then you're like, "No, thank you. I I cannot do this." Um, and I guess later on in the interview, we'll kind of talk about what led you to then becoming an army. Because I guess you know, spoilers. We don't want to jump to that just yet. So, yeah. 
instead of covering that right now, what I want to know, and we have talked about this before, and I do really enjoy learning more about this from you, is, um, and you write about this in your essay, what was it like growing up Asian in Australia? So your parents were immigrants, so you're a first-generation Australian. Yep. What was that like? Because obviously I'm white Australian, very different experience because, you know, Australia is primarily white, very, very white, um, and we're all, you know, it's a colonist country. Like we're all not actually from here. Um, so, and you really must have grown up, I don't know, I'm assuming feeling like you're really not from here despite actually being born here. So what was that like? Uh, so I think being Vietnamese Australian, my upbringing was very much influenced by Confucianism. So Confucianism is a system of thought and behaviour that has like a wide range of influence in all fields of like economic, social, political, cultural and family life. So it focuses on education and values, family and social relationships. So similar to Buddhism, it helps people towards goodness and behaving better in their family and the community. So in Confucianism, it's believed that children who respect and obey their parents will become good people and that being academically excellent is the way in which a child can bring honour to their family. So a lot of Asian parents feel that educational achievement is influenced by how a parent uh, practices as a parent. And so it reflects on them if their child isn't academically gifted. So my parents were Vietnamese immigrants who had fled from their war-torn country to start afresh in Australia. But because they couldn't speak the language, um, there were a lot of barriers for them. Um, so obviously job opportunities weren't as good and um, like just not being able to communicate with people, it was hard for them. But, you know, for their dream of giving their kids better lives, they persevered. So growing up with this kind of knowledge and being taught Confucian values, I was always fueled with the desire to be the best at everything so that I could make their sacrifice worthwhile. Um, and whether that was through being the perfect student or the perfect daughter, anything less than perfect was not really good enough in my eyes. So my full name is, um, as you said before, uh, Fung Tao Michelle Bui Huang. And during my primary school years, um, basically a name like that kind of makes you stand out for all the wrong reasons. Um, and it wasn't just kids, it was teachers as well. They would get up to my name on the roll call and just be like, ah. um and can I can I ask like what did they say you know like when they look at your name do they try and say the whole name or did they just like say your last name or what what was the general thing they would fixate on the Michelle part they would be like Michelle um (laughs) (laughs) and then I think from there I quickly learned that I had to use Michelle in Mm. um in Australia because people just didn't want to learn um, the first two words. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so I think this is when I started really, uh, you know, my perfectionism really started because I wanted to be this perfect person and, um, you know, having a name that was, that people would, you know, struggle with was not that. And I think it also helped to be a perfect student because it was able to ward off social ridicule from my classmates and then it sort of protected me from like their teasing um <clears throat> so even you know even if they did still tease me it 
provided me with like a sense of adequacy that at least I was a perfect student and I was honoring the Confucian values that my parents taught me. Interesting. It's so interesting that like you see growing up Asian in Australia as so intertwined with perfectionism. Um, And that's kind of, I guess that's what we see a lot in the media is that, that Asian stereotype of like Asians are really smart and they're really good at math and science. And um, do you think that that's potentially one of the roots of that is that Asian people have like that ingrained sense of we have to do better than, you know, better than the best just to be legitimate? Yeah, yes, definitely. And I think it's a way of showing your parents that, you know, that you that you see that what they did for you, they sacrificed all this for you so that you could have a good job, a good life. So that's your way of paying them back. And it's how, um, based on the Confucian values, that's how a lot of Asians are raised. Like, you know, you need to bring honour to your family. Um, And then pretty much like, you know, a lot of Asian parents seem to think that the only legitimate career is a doctor, a lawyer or an engineer. Mm, so that's pretty rough like that doesn't leave much space for anything different you know like what if you wanted to I don't know be a musician or an artist um did you ever like what did you want to be when you grew up um I think in the beginning I thought I wanted to be a doctor because that's you know what my mum always wanted from me and you know like toys that she bought was like a little stethoscope kit and um yeah, so I thought, you know, that's what I want. That's where the big bucks are. Um, but I'm definitely not that now. So, ha! <laughs> uh, disappointment. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so I think I grew up for a long time thinking that, you know, that her dream was actually my dream. And I think I realized later on in life that that's not what I wanted to do. Mm. And so when you grew up a little bit more, what did you want to do? Is it like radiation therapy? Is that what you really felt called to? Yeah, I think I did, but based on my own experience with cancer. So my dad had leukemia. Um, and so I I sort of felt like, oh, maybe this is my calling, you know, helping other people who have cancer. Um, and it was actually fulfilling for a time, but I think during the COVID period, it got pretty rough. And I realized I was like, did I actually want to do this for me or, Mm. um, you know, was there another reason behind it? And, um, I think thinking about it, I realized that, you know, it was still a medical profession in a way. So that sort of like pleased my mum because it's, it's not doctor, but it's still healthcare, you know? And, um, she could tell people that I cured cancer, which I did not by the way, (laughs) uh, radiation therapists do not cure cancer. (laughs) Um, but you know, it was a, it was something that she liked to tell people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, I guess it's also a great way to like honor your dad as well, you know, because he, he ended up, um, passing, uh, Mm. 15 years ago, was it? Yeah. So, yeah. So like, I guess, you know, you did your time helping as many people that you could, you know, in a way that you couldn't necessarily like or directly help your dad at the time. Um, but you're still in healthcare now as well, which is yeah. really interesting. Like you've stayed on that path. Yeah. And is that where well, you think you'll stay? Like, is that the vibe? I mean, I'm now a healthcare consultant and that's 
so different because I'm not in the clinical space anymore. I'm more mm-hmm. in the corporate side of things. And it's actually kind of interesting because I can affect change on a bigger level. Um, but, you know, like consulting is not something that you will do, I don't know, for the rest of your life. I think it's sort of like a stepping stone to other things. And I'm, you know, I'm open to trying new things and I'm not sure like what they may be, but um, I mean, this was a great project to work on. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I've been an editor. Ooh, editor Mitch. <laughs> she just winked, everyone. She just she just gave a really big wink. Um, yeah. <laughs> she's trying to ingratiate herself um, to the CEO of the publishing company. <laughs> okay. Anyway, okay, We I have digressed because I just asked some other questions. Um, okay, so uh, there's an excerpt from your essay um, about like, because I want to go back to perfectionism and your kind of relationship with that because this is what your essay really centres on. Uh, and I think what people might not, if, if people don't suffer from perfectionism, if they've never really experienced it, they might not know that it's not just that you want to be perfect. It actually has like other very rural life consequences um, on your mental health and your day-to-day life. So could you read out this excerpt and then we'll have a little discussion about it? Okay, so... My first anxiety attack was a wake-up call that something was very wrong. At this point, I was so used to ignoring my own feelings that when I was forced to deal with the feelings that came with an anxiety attack, I was wildly unprepared. It awoke a beast that I had kept locked up in the darkest recesses of my mind, and when it woke, it was livid. It roared and thrashed in the cage that was my mind, and I was utterly helpless at stopping its onslaught. At the time, I didn't understand why the beast was so angry at me. I had done everything that everyone expected of me to perfection. Wasn't it enough? My anxiety gradually paved the way for the beast to become a more prominent figure in my mind. Instead of going back into its dark corner like it usually did, it stayed, hissing my worst fears every hour of every day. Okay, so that's an anxiety attack, everyone. Like that's and you're you're calling it like the beast. Um, so is that is the beast like perfectionism, or is it like a culmination of a few different things? Yeah, I think for me it was like a culmination of like you know perfectionism, anxiety, depression. Mm, okay, and how how old were you when this first started happening? Oh, I think maybe twenty one, twenty two. Okay. Okay, so I mean, you made it into your twenties. Like, hello. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so you'd already gone through high school. You graduated. You gone through uni as well, or you were still at uni at the time? Still, still at uni. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's a pretty big point in your life to just start getting anxiety. Like, that's intense. Like, yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. It it makes sense, obviously, but it's like. Whoa. a lot of things happening all at once okay so then did you just continue to like get anxiety attacks from that point on or did it come and go or was it linked to anything in particular oh I think it was definitely linked to being in crowded spaces or like being um I think yeah especially crowded spaces like parties or anything with a lot of people would freak me Mm -hmm. out. And I think if I was ever alone with a, because my last, before that anxiety attack happened, um, the person I was with, um, they weren't exactly the greatest person to be around. Like they Mm -hmm. were, you know, 
physically abusive. So um, I didn't like to be near anyone that was bigger or could overpower me. And it didn't, mm-hmm. it would give me a lot of anxiety to be around someone that could, yeah. that could overpower I mean, me. I mean, that kind of gets rid of most of Australia, if you think about it. Like you just, yeah, if, I know. If, if, because <laughs> you're not particularly tall. <laughs> Um, so that's that's not yeah I mean surprise um no surprise to me um but um I mean that kind of that that makes going out pretty hard and just being a normal 21 year old (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, wow okay so it just continued to get worse and worse or did it kind of stay like steady state for a few years uh I think I learned to like work work around it and then like just sort of like pretend that it didn't happen I'd just be like Mm. Yeah, because it, because it, (laughs) I don't even know her. Um, because it kind of goes against your perfectionism, right? To like to have this part of you that's untamed. Um, so I guess that's where perfectionism kind of overrules this part of you, where it's like, no, this is not, this is not happening. (laughs) I don't know her. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The perfectionism was like, no, bitch, your mental health is a okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So in your essay, you write about coming to terms with your experiences of anxiety and depression as well. Um, So I guess like after a while of kind of going back and forth between needing to be the perfect person, because this is, this is who you are, the perfect Michelle. um, And then also having like the beast within you that is imperfect. That's a pretty slippery slope. Um, and so can you read this this excerpt um, about the day that you can't, that you decided to take your life? Like, I guess that's, I mean, you go there in the essay, man. Like, and I was, it was interesting that you did because that's pretty um, intimate and very personal. Yeah. Uh, but it's also very real, right? Like, so there's no point glossing over it, which is what perfectionism would want you to do. <laughs> yeah, um, so, so this is, I guess this part of your essay is like your, defiance of perfectionism which is what makes it so you know that you didn't just like tell people about it but you put it in a book um for everyone to read that's how did that feel by the way like just scary um yeah so (laughs) nerve-wracking like I think the very first first person that read it was my boyfriend and he uh well no you like I think when Mm. you were reading it I was like yeah so um so we were I was in Melbourne next to Mish <laughs> well I was just enjoying my I was enjoying my Melbourne holiday and next minute she like she comes running into the room and puts a laptop in my hand with the document open and she's like read this um and I'm like okay um and I, I read this beautiful essay and she's literally like sitting almost on top of me like looking <laughs> directly like at me being like so what do you think is it okay <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, which is because I didn't, I didn't know what was in the essay. I didn't know what was coming. Right. Um, so anyway, just let that, if you're feeling like, oh, this is intense. I don't necessarily want to hear about, and you know, Mish thinking about taking your own life, just picture Mish sitting next to me on the couch in Melbourne, like her face pretty well, right next to mine being like, what do you think of my essay? <laughs> <laughs> is All right. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Take us there, Mish. All right. So. As I slid the blade out, I started reflecting on different moments of my life and then the most peculiar moment crossed my mind. I remembered the day I saw Jimin reaching out to me in blood, sweat and tears. I wondered at the time why on earth this memory 
resurface, but it was enough to make me pause momentarily and go look up BTS on my phone. Being a millennial who grew up in the golden age of Harry Potter, naturally I gravitated towards the song titled Magic Shop. It was nothing more than a simple lyric music video, but just like in Blood, Sweat and Tears, I was the girl. My heart ached as verse by verse the BTS members spoke to a long forgotten part of my soul. Perhaps it was fate or serendipity, as some may say, but for the second time, Jimin reached out and invited me into the magic shop. Ooh, so show me. Okay, anyway, I wouldn't be this um, casual with anyone else, by the way. I, w- I mean, I would hope I wouldn't be, <laughs> like, sick. Um, uh, nearly, nearly killed yourself, but. BTS came through. Okay, so sorry. Show I'm, I'm, me. <laughs> yeah, so show me. Oh, I'll show you. Um, okay, so that's pretty in- intense. Firstly, that you were like, "Fuck it, I'm out." Like it's right now. I'm going goodbye. And secondly, that Jimin was like, "Hey, let's not do that right now. Um, you haven't even become an army yet, so <laughs> that's a bit rude." <laughs> um, it's is. It's just interesting to me that like, and and you're familiar with the other I Am Army book and the essays in this book as well. Um, it is a it is a recurring theme within the fandom that people often like write as they go to take their life, think about BTS or hear BTS or see BTS. Um, so it's amazing that it happened for you. So literally in that moment, you were on your phone watching or listening to Magic Shop, and. Then did you, like, the next day, did you start to listen to more songs or what happened from there? Yeah, I think I went, I really dug deep into the Love Yourself album and then just listened to their songs over and over and over again Um, and then just really got engrossed into the rabbit hole that is, you know, the BTS universe. Um, Yeah, and it was just so comforting. Like, it almost felt like I wasn't alone anymore. Uh, that I had, you know, seven new friends that were always going to be there for me. Um, and it helps that they used to, you know, always go on the lives and, you know, just stuff like that. So it almost felt like, you know, they were catching up with you and making sure that you were okay. Yeah. So were you feeling like really isolated at this point, like in your life, like from all the, because I guess we talked about perfectionism, anxiety, depression, did that all kind of make you feel really isolated from everyone else? Yeah. Like, I think with anxiety and depression, they often come hand in hand. And for me, they really came about as a result of one of my previous relationships. And I think in that relationship, my emotions were often invalidated or I would get reprimanded or punished for being too emotional. Um, So to prevent that, I would often repress how I felt because I was made to feel like, you know, sadness, grief and even anger were emotions that I shouldn't have. And I think after ignoring them for so long, it placed a physical stress on my body. And that's how I first got my anxiety attack. Um, I think mental health isn't something that's really spoken about in Asian cultures. In fact, there's a stigma around it. Uh, Traditionally, Asians believe that mental illnesses are caused by a lack of harmony of emotions or sometimes by lol evil spirits or uh, transgressions committed in a previous life. What did I do? Um, (laughs) what did you do (laughs) yeah uh, it it really reflects poorly on family lineage and it really influences other people's beliefs about the suitability of an individual for marriage and 
Because it's not physically visible, many Asians from our parents' generation think it's not real. And given the circumstances that they had to grow up in, it's hard for them to accept that you can't just get over it. Um, mm. So I went into denial about having it and it became a defense mechanism, you know, because it didn't fit in with being perfect. And like, but then I found that no matter what kind of mask I put on, what role I played, nothing could really keep it down. And, you know, listening to stuff like fake love, it sort of struck a chord with me because in the song, the lyrics say, you know, I've been erasing myself and making myself into everyone else's doll. And, you know, as a consequence of keeping up the facade around everyone, it got really tiring for me. You know, I desperately wanted to stop, but my perfectionism wouldn't let me. And because of that, that's when I really lost the will to keep going. I was just so tired of chasing after perfection and I just wanted it to stop. Um, But yeah, like I think BTS made me feel like it was okay to have these feelings and to not be so hard on myself um, because I think it was love yourself where they said that, you know, the standards you put are stricter on yourself than um, on anyone else. Mm. No, that's, I mean, thanks BTS. Um, Cause without them, Hey, I might not have a bestie right now. So I know. That's, <laughs> that would, that would suck. And we wouldn't have this book either. So cheers guys. Um, <laughs> do you think that, it was also really important that BTS were Asian and singing yes. from that perspective as well. Yeah, so important um, because it was just nice to see, you know, people enjoying Asians making music because mm. I think growing up um, it was, I don't know, I think K-pop was a little bit uh, like you were a bit of a loser if you like K-pop back then. It was like people would use derogatory terms for you call you like a karibu or whatever and um like people would think that you're not as intelligent because you're listening to music that you can't understand um they're like oh you know why do you even listen to that like do you even know what it means it's called subtitles um and like all everyone would say oh you know all these men aren't real men anyway they're just um they're girly men so why would you you know why would you listen to them and I think, you know, but they didn't care about that. They were like, you know, they just kept going, being the best, becoming the best. And, um, you know, now now they're like standing for um, anti-Asian, you know, hate, going to speak at the White House. Um, so many people love them now. So it's very gratifying to see that they've really paved the way for Asian artists and to get respect for it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also really interesting, right, to think that they also struggle with this um, idea of perfectionism, which is also, like, incredibly um, colonialist, right, and it's incredibly white where, you know, white culture is expecting ex- only excellence from Asians, otherwise they're not worthwhile or, like, they just, you know, like, in order to be part of our culture, quote-unquote, they've got to be number one. And I, I yeah. feel like that... Um, when we look at BTS and how like even in terms of the Grammys or trying to get recognition in the US, it's like no one will actually give them proper credit until or unless they get like the highest award and then suddenly they're someone. Um, 
which is frustrating, right, for, for ARMY because it's like, well, we've seen them be amazing for 10 years this June um, and only now that they're getting number one on Billboard and, you know, winning more awards. So people are like, oh, maybe they are, maybe they've finally made it. <laughs> Whereas it's like until then, oh, no, they don't matter. Um, and even then, like, the US is like, no, you can't have a Grammy. Like, no. <laughs> like, you're, 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 not, you're not American enough. Like, yeah. you're not allowed. You only put on the best Grammy performance, but still no. Yeah, yeah. We'll use you in all of our promotional materials and make it seem like, you know, you're going to win. Um, so everyone tunes in. But that's just for ratings. Um, yeah. So it, it's surely um, must help you feel a little better in terms of your perfectionism to watch them, people that we think are perfect, um, still like struggle with the same things. Is that, I think in the essay you talk about Jimin in particular, right? Um, And his like struggle with perfectionism. So that really helped you? Yeah, I think it was in Burn the Stage, uh, their documentary. So I remember watching it and he was just crying in frustration backstage as he was telling everyone around him that he'd messed up his solo performance. And, you know, I was just like, got to see how messed up this performance is. So I went to watch that solo and I just could not even pick up where his voice had cracked um, during that solo. And then when I went back to watch the film, Jimin explained that he always felt a lot of pressure and stress prior to his solo performances because he had this pressure to do well. And he felt that even one mistake could become unbearable. Um, and then when I heard that, I just saw like myself reflected in him because I think my whole life I'd lived with the belief that being perfect was the only way I would get respect or love from anyone. And if I made any kind of mistake, it always, you know, I'd always think about it. Um, and everything that I did was always governed by my perfectionism. So I was never perfect in my eyes, but when I saw him in Burn the Stage, I was just a little bit heartbroken for him and for myself because I was just like, oh, you know, um, because of the perfectionism, I stopped using my real name. I stopped listening to K-pop and, you know, I almost erased myself completely. And I think, you know, thinking when I saw that, I was like, oh, you know, I I didn't like hate Jimin for messing up his performance. And I thought, you know, maybe other people don't like hate me or like think less of me when I make a mistake. Yeah, and you know the funny the funny part is that when you make mistakes, especially like really public ones, it actually makes you more human, and people like you more. <laughs> Which is like you know like when when Jimin's like beating himself up over that, it's like oh that's really relatable, yeah. <laughs> and it, it it helps us connect. Otherwise, if Jimin and BTS were just like one hundred percent perfect all the time, it would get to a point where we'd get really tired of that. We'd be like, well, this isn't relatable. This isn't real. It's all an act. But because they're real with us and we get to see them struggle, um, not that we want to see them struggle, but it's, it's real. We're all struggling to some degree, right? And it's like, yes, watch them struggle. But um, no, it's, it's reassuring. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm obviously kidding everyone. Please don't hurt me. Um, so, all right. How did becoming ARMY change your life apart from um, saving your life? You know, when BTS and Jimin in particular were like, yo, magic shop, let's go. Um, what else, what else has changed? Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. I'll show you from room. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) Sorry. We are being recorded. Um, (laughs) 
Okay, I'm checking. Um, so anyway, composure. <clears throat> yep. So Mish, how did becoming army change your life? <laughs> uh, so throughout my life, I've always been really self-conscious about my name, like the full tail part of it. And I've always dealt with racism, both about my name um, and my background. And I've always kept silent about it. And it actually wasn't until I saw uh, Namjoon speak at the United Nations that I really thought to myself that Asian voices do matter and um, my voice can matter as well. So I think through becoming ARMY, I was able to overcome these insecurities about being Asian and I could connect with people I never would have had the chance to previously. Um, So I met you and, you know, it gave me the courage to dream, to chase after new ventures I never would have before. And I think most importantly, in a time when I didn't, uh, being ARMY and liking BTS taught me how to love myself again. Oh, that that was a nice come down from the silliness. Um, <laughs> hi, thank you. Thank you for, for saving me just then. Um, so you have a, a really brief excerpt from the essay to read out that kind of ties up this whole part you know, because we've gone through a little bit of your story. And of course, I really urge people to read your essay. Well, firstly, buy the book and then read your essay <laughs> um, to get the full mesh experience. But of course, we start out, you know, growing up Asian in Australia um, and the whole thing of like just being other in, in school um, with this really long name that people won't learn um, and that they kind of fixate on and, you know, you're just kind of separate from everyone because of it and the perfectionism that then results from your your upbringing but also the pressures of being an immigrant you know first generation australian um the need to uh to be the best in order just to fit in to you know have the bare minimum respect from everyone else to then i guess by the end of the essay claiming all of you you know in your imperfect perfect because that that is the that is the irony right is that like all of your imperfections are what makes you perfect and that's what makes all of us perfect it's just not the perfect that we've been taught (laughs) which is like the emotionless the robotic the high achieving um never making any mistakes kind of perfect which is you know a capitalist colonialist patriarchal con job um and I'm sorry if you just heard my dog. She just like ran out of the room because she's like, I'm not perfect. I'm out of here, except for she's completely deaf. So she heard nothing. Um, <laughs> also, both <laughs> of our dogs have the same name. So cool. So long story short, can you read the excerpt out? Okay. In 2022, I rewatched RM's speech at the United Nations again, but this time I did not shed any tears. This time when RM asked, what is your name? I answered back with Kuntao Michelle. Oh, yeah. She's got three first names. Watch out, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, all these other plebs with their one first name, like, get real. Like, and all these plebs with two first names, um, yeah, nice try. What you need (laughs) is three to get on Mish's level. Kuntao Michelle. Yeah, and then let's not even get started on the last name. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, not even my name fits on them forms. They're expecting people to have real small names these days. Yeah, I know. John Smith or nothing. Yeah, that's right. Jane Doe. Anyway. (laughs) um, (laughs) So, 
I think that's beautiful. I think um, I think you're great, and I think three names is legit, and two last names, man. It's it's the five that we all need, the the perfect five. Um, so what I want to know in the time since writing your essay, because you wrote your essay over a year ago now, um, has anything changed for you, like in your life, um, your journey as an army? What what's going on? What's the? I'm going to pretend like I know nothing. What's what's going yeah. on, Mish? Uh, so many things, as you know, have changed. Um, I did a complete 180 of my career and um, my heart was broken. I became single again for the first time in seven years. I moved back to my family home. I had to learn how to be on my own again. And then I um, I have to learn how to open my heart again, fall in love again. Um, and throughout this process, Ooh. oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in fact I'm blushing uh, throughout this process you know I found me that I had lost over those seven years and through being alone I got back in touch with who I was and personally I think that I've become the best version of myself in years I feel like even though what I went through was really painful it was one of the best things to ever happen to me and as bad as it sounds it needed to happen it's been really surprising to hear from all of my friends that they thought my light was really dull during those years and how now I'm shining more brightly than I ever did. So one of my close friends reminded me the other week that in the time frame that all these changes happened, how many different things I managed to achieve, like, um, you know, this book, for example, and how I just threw myself constantly out of my comfort zone so I could live life again. Um, yeah, I myself feel more me than I have in a long time and it's a good feeling living that saying that Jimin once said, you know, go on your path, even if you live for a day. I think life just feels a lot more vibrant and full now. And it's not always easy. In fact, it's pretty scary sometimes, but I don't think I'd change anything. And of course, we went to South Korea to see BTS. Oh, which was, no. oh my yet gosh. In Busan. Yeah. Yeah. And we are still yet to come to see it in Busan because we only got that. <laughs> 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 We, um, <clears throat> despite our best efforts, we only got live play tickets. We did not actually get to the actual concert, but we were there. Like, <laughs> we were in that city. We, we were yet at to it. come Busan adjacent. Yeah, that's right. We were yet to come live play edition. Um, yeah. <laughs> and oh, yeah. If, if anyone's wanting to know, um, attending a live play event at a port um, in autumn in South Korea, very cold. Um, the, the breeze of the ocean made it even colder and everyone else bought blankets and um, we did not. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's all, it's all part of the experience, right? Um, and we're, I think we're, we're better for it. Look at us now. I know. That was just six months ago and um, wow, it's amazing. Look, we bought out a book just like that, easy. It's not like it took a year and a half. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> easy, easy. Uh, yeah, yeah, just just like that. Yet to come? No, not anymore. It's already here. Um, anyway, <laughs> so back to being serious. Sorry, I forgot we were recording. Um, so for anyone out there listening who resonated with your story about perfectionism, um, growing up Asian in a non-Asian country, anxiety, depression, um, not wanting to be here anymore, no big deal. Uh, so anyone who resonated with all that, the super fun themes, um, what advice would you give or like 
yeah, like not necessarily telling people what to do, but like, yeah, any words of comfort, any funny, funny things to lighten the mood? I don't know. What do you got? Uh, I think like Namjoon said, find your name, find your voice by speaking yourself, embrace yourself as hard as you can and love yourself little by little. You know, you're not weak. Your failures don't define who you are. Uh, Don't be afraid to feel your feels and go listen to some BTS. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) And buy the book. Yeah, yeah. Buy the book. (laughs) Most important, buy buy the book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Be proud of who you are, even if the world refuses to acknowledge your shine at the moment. You belong here. Oh, yeah. And just go into that magic shop, man. We're all there. Magic shop in um, Busan. What, wait, is that? I'm not just making that up. They did do a muster or yeah. something. Um, yeah, yeah, they yeah. yeah, that's a great, that's that's one of their best. So yeah. just just put it on. Um, definitely don't illegally acquire it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then and then just bliss out, man. That's, that's, that's the wham way and we have done that before. Yeah, I think we've done that twice. Um, Yep. So show me. Um, Anyway, so question number seven, because I I made sure that there were seven questions for this very on theme. Am I right? Um, Love it. Okay. Don't think too hard, even though I know you've already looked at these questions and have your answers prepared. Uh, Favorite BTS era music video and song? Okay. So obviously the Love Yourself era was hands down my favorite. Um, I actually have two tattoos based off that era. Well, do we see that? Oh yeah, we do. Sorry for everyone listening. <laughs> but oh, oh yeah, we got a matching tattoo. Oh no, you can't yeah. see it. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, we can see it a little bit. Can oh, we? It's really yeah, hard a little, to little hold. bit. Okay. So um, for everyone listening, Mish and I are holding up our arms to the <laughs> the camera and um, showing our wonderful BTS inspired best friends forever tattoos. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. It's got the um the number seven on it, you know. Oh yeah. And and a lyric from Serendipity. Yeah. Mm. Very Jimin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Peak romance. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So back to the question. My oh, sorry, music- sorry. <laughs> My favorite music video is Idols. Um mm. both the official <laughs> MV and the MMA twenty twenty one version. Oh yeah. 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 So go look that up if you haven't watched it. Um, and my favourite song will forever be Magic Shop. Oh, that's beautiful. Great. Well, Mish, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, looks like Winston wants to get out of your room. He's like, please let me out. It's time to go. My dogs are going feral because it's dinner time. Um, so anyway... That's a nice little life update from us. <laughs> Sorry, all I can see is Winston. <laughs> he's like, I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, he's, okay. like, he's like, Mum, please, I'm going to shit myself. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Winston. Um, anyway, Mish, thank you for joining me. You can find Mish on Instagram at Moshi Mish. Uh, you can find me at the BTS Theorist on Instagram as well as Leah Eaglehawk on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, anywhere that you can find someone pretty much. And you can pick up a copy of I Am Army, We Don't Need Permission from revoltbooks.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Book Depository or by ordering through your local indie retailer. That's all from us, folks. I'm not going to say anything else dumb now. We're just going to go. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>